Hello, and welcome to Our Voices, Our Community. Each week, we focus on issues that are important to you and our community. We discuss an array of issues in Roanoke and the New River Valley, social to political to economics, but also arts and culture and much more. Our goal is to merge local with state and national issues that affect our lives in Southwest Virginia. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the new hire, new hiring of our new superintendent of schools in Roanoke City. And also we're gonna talk about the recent racial incidents that's been happening in the country. So let's get started. I'm Robert Jeffrey, and joining me today is Will Solari. Will, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I'm glad we're getting back together and doing our podcast. I'm very excited. Um, even with the social distancing, I think we're we're still putting along. Seeing, seeing everybody's unshaved faces at home through, through yeah. Zoom right now, or at least mine. <laughs> Yes, it is. It's quite interesting that we are doing this distancing uh, remotely. And joining us also is Catherine Stromberg. Catherine, hello. I, I'm shaved. I'm still shaving during this pandemic, so still I just want to let you guys know. Yes, I'm still okay. shaving. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to visualize. It. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you. Thank you for joining us. Karen Jones, how are you? I'm good. How are y'all doing? Yeah, we y'all, y'all is doing fine. <laughs> really? Are y'all? <laughs> that, that, I always kid you on that New River Valley dialect, but thank you. Thank you for joining us. And last but definitely not least, our special guest, the good Reverend Kevin Mitchell. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you all doing? All right, good. You know, we're starting, we might need to start making you a regular, man. Bring your point of view. Yeah, welcome back. Absolutely. I have to correct you, Robert. It's the good Reverend McNeil. Yes. Oh, what did I say? <laughs> Mitchell. Did I say Mitchell? I am I'm completely sorry. I'm sorry, Reverend McNeil. I am completely apologetic on that one. But thank you for joining us, sir. I appreciate that. And thank you. Well, you know, always people always correct me all the time, so I'm used to being corrected. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, let's get started. Well, Roanoke has finally, we have a new superintendent, former intern, Baltimore County School Superintendent, Valletta White, has been selected for the top job in Roanoke City School system. Um, during a meeting on Tuesday, the school board appointed uh, Ms. White as the incoming superintendent of Roanoke City Public Schools. Um, her appointment ends a nine-month uh, nine selection process for the school system. So we finally have a new leader to lead our children uh, in the city of Roanoke in the educational system. So what are you guys' initial thoughts about uh, Miss Valletta White? I'm going to start with you, Mr. McNeil, Reverend McNeil. Yeah, I was saying, we're waiting for our school board expert to chime in. <laughs> I think you're going to start the ball rolling on this conversation, Reverend McNeil. Go ahead. 
Yeah, well, you know, I'm not sure if I'm an expert, but uh, as I said to Karen earlier, you know, my thought is I'm kind of in a wait mode. There's a part of me that's like, yes, finally, there's somebody else. Um, and we knew that, of course, uh, Rita Bishop was going to be gone at the end of June. And so it was not a question of if and when, but who at this point. Um, and, you know, having looked at her background, having looked at um, everything that I've been able to, to kind of parse through at this point, um, I am hopeful. And I think it, 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 having someone in from the outside at least breathes kind of a fresh air of release. But uh, still some cautious optimism, I guess is a, probably gets the best way to say how I'm looking at it at this point. Um, you know, because I can imagine that there are some people who are at the headquarters office who are kind of in um, some uh, influx right now because they don't know what's going to happen with them. Um, right. It is my hope that, you know, there's a house cleaning that happens uh, because I think even if there's a you, you change person at the top, but you keep all the furniture in the house the same, um, how much change do you really have? So I think that there are some other key positions that also will need to change. So that's something else that we're kind of looking at now, trying to figure out, you know, that piece. But I think, um, like I said, as I was saying to Karen earlier, you know, six, eight, 12 months from now, we'll probably have a, a, a really good sense of who she is and what the long-term effect will be. Catherine, you uh, you have children, and, and Will as well have children in the school system. And so what are your thoughts on this, Catherine? Uh, um, so I have, uh, you know, it's funny because I care very much about this, but this whole decision and even the input, the ability to give some input to it, um, came through for me at the exact same time, almost as like this pandemic was coming at us. The um, At first I was... Um, I was kind of distracted by the state legislature session wrapping up. And so I'd been concentrated on that and I had been almost, you know, tuning out the superintendent thing because it didn't seem like they really, um, you know, it was frustrating because they didn't make it easy for us to give our feedback. They, you know, they sent those forms, but then it was like, you know, if you didn't turn it in like two days later, you didn't get to give your input. And, um, you know, then they extended the deadline because people complained and, and, you know, they had the forums, but, you know, it was like everything was kind of mid pandemic. And, you know, I do really hope that they made the right decision. Um, you know, I do think that the, at least based on the run of times article, um, I do think that, I think that's a good gauge that the feedback was pretty overwhelming that the, that the superintendent, that the previous superintendent had been way too controlling and had not done a good job, um, accepting grassroots, you know, um, um, system-wide, you know, feedback into the system because the system to be healthy needs to have like a, 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 a feedback where people who are the subjects of the system are able to, you know, say, how's this going for us? And then, you know, we're able to, you know, the parents and the kids and the teachers and the principals are able to kind of push up that like what's going on and then like you know they can kind of integrate that into their approach and then change their style if need be and change the way they're doing things but um you know that really wasn't happening in the past and and like kevin said um, i really think that you know that that 
to whatever extent the central office um, and the new superintendent, you know, keep that same mindset of like, well, we only have to keep the school board happy. And like, as long as we don't anger the school board, we can really do whatever we want. Like parents being mad doesn't matter. You know, principals mad doesn't matter. You know, teachers are mad doesn't matter. Like that attitude, you know, can be contagious. And I worry that the next superintendent is going to catch it. That's all because the structure is still the same. The central structure is still the same. You know, I do think that she received the feedback loud and clear upon our hiring that she needs to change that, but we'll see, you know, I just, we don't know. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to tell right now. Right. Like how can you really, I think it's going to be a couple of years before we know if this lady is really the right fit or can, it, it can change things. Well, you know, and, and I think from what we also knew about, Oh, just the way that that position worked before yeah. where it's, you know, kind of the my way or the highway attitude, um, looking at how much someone got paid. I mean, because that, that position, I, th- I can't, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know Rita Bishop was making well over a hundred thousand dollars, um, to do something that, you know, had a, had a, had a degree of tons of other perks to just kind of maintain things just as they were, you know, the things that were good were working well, the things that bad were bad, just stayed bad or got worse. And I think as long as she can come in and learn from those mistakes and, and, and treat that position with the, with the gravity it deserves and not the prestige that you think that position should have, I think she'll do great. I mean, because those were really some of the hallmarks of, of Rita Bishop's way out, which again was, you know, give credit where it's due. She did great things for the arts and great things for the schools that were already performing well. But overall, you know, if your car has a really exciting paint job and great stereo, but the wheels are flat and the transmission's blown, like how good is that car? So as long as, you know, the new superintendent can come in and, and, and realize that you got to take a really holistic approach to the, to this this uh, school zone or school district, um, I think you're already off to a, a really good start if that if if they do that. Okay. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I'm. I think I'm with, with Reverend McNeil. I got your last name right. <laughs> uh, I think I'm with Reverend McNeil on this. Um, the wait and see uh, on her. Um, I think when people come into a new position, they you need to give people a chance to to kind of work and try to create their own style. Um, also, I also believe there should be some changes too in the leadership as well um, there, because I think some of the philosophies that the original, the previous administration had, um, I think the community didn't really like that philosophy. And I think we need to have a new, fresh, a breath of fresh air going into the school district. So I, I, am, um, I am kind of just on pause with, with this. I wanna see, give her a chance to come in, work, do some of the things that we, hopefully the work from the, uh, the employment, the HR people that uh, that we they hired, along with the school board, to hire the candidate. 
Uh, I hope they listened to some of the feedback that was given, and um, hopefully they will give her a chance to work it out. So I'm I'm on the bubble. I'm you know I'm I'm all uh, I've heard some of the things on social media that you know oh we've hired an African American woman and, and she's from Baltimore and we should be excited. Well, okay. I mean you know fine. I'm okay with that. But I think um, there's some things that we that I had questions too. Um, I had some serious questions, but. Um, I think we need to give her a chance, and I think she needs to um, and see what she has. And I don't know how much time <laughs> we give her before we start criticizing or or even applauding her. I don't know. I don't know what the time limit is, but I do think we need mm-hmm. to give her some time for adjustment period. She at least need to have a honeymoon period. That's basically what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I would concur with that. Um, I think one of the challenges we have is that there's a pandemic. Yeah. And something, you know, I I said uh, this past week, there was nothing in seminary. There was no course in, you know, any of my counseling classes that taught me how to pastor during a pandemic. Right. You know, I, I wish I could tell you, oh, Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was one of my third, you know, no, there's no, nothing. There were no um, elective courses. There was nothing that says this is how you pastor during the pandemic. So um, I, I think this first year for her will probably be an uphill cha- challenge just because um, the, the, you know, we're still we are talking to school board members. We don't even know at this point how we're going to start school. Right. Uh-huh. There, there is no clear path forward. And, um, and, and, and Will, to answer your earlier question, um, school, Rita Bishop was making just south of $200,000 a year, about 196000 a year, um, yeah. plus, plus a car allowance and a cell phone allowance and something else, I forget. But, um, yeah, so I think that when we're talking about uh, the honeymoon period, in this case, it probably needs to be an extended period of time, which is why I, I, I'm with Catherine. It may take not six months. It could take 12 to 18 months before we really have a... Mm-hmm. Because, you know, scientifically, we could be dealing with this pandemic again this coming fall. So, um, you know, and just like I said, having talked to the school board, a couple of members of the school board, that there's no clear path forward for them right now. They're still trying to figure it out. Well, and, so. and you know, in, in trying to be the perpetual optimist with all of this, you know, hopefully this is an you know, extraordinary time which she will rise and do extraordinary things given these, these set mm-hmm. of challenges. Um, I, mm-hmm. You know, again, she's it, it, she's untested and it's unknown and we're sort of like exactly like you said Kevin we're, we're in unknown waters but you know again hopefully this will be an opportunity to to for someone to get very creative with this to start thinking outside of the box and and find new ways to to bring stuff to to Roanoke City and to the the really the the school system that again we have some amazing things in it and we have some things that are extremely troubling and need a lot of help so Hopefully she can do all those things. 
uh, and in a way that, that they've fallen yeah. short in the past. Yeah. And, you know, here's one of the positives of the pandemic. So Miss White gets to come in and systems have to change, right? There's no choice but to institute changes when school opens again and whatever that looks like. It's just an, a plethora of options that can only be positive, right? So her path forward, while difficult, just presents some newness that you can't really challenge because everything's new right now. Like we're experiencing um, a historical time. And so she's going to have the opportunity to forge a path um, that we hope will be really good for our children, for, you know, faculty, staff, administrators that will help to just improve the education of our kids. So I'm excited for her and what she's going to bring to the city. Yeah. I, do think, I do think your point, Karen, about, you know, we'll see what she's, she's able to do um, is good. And I agree with, with, with you also, Robert, that the, the optics, you know, whether it's having, you know, um, someone of color help with the problems, you know, in this district, it, it is very true that, you know, Crystal Springs is not struggling right now. They're one of the highest performing uh, elementary schools and, you know, the entire state, but on just the, the, the city. But then again, in the same school district, you have, of course, uh, schools that are, that, are, that are so underperforming that they don't even rank, um, that are primarily affecting, uh, you know, uh, people of color and minorities. And so I think in some ways, at least to help realign that focus off the like, well, again, you know, the arts are great and... Uh, I mean, look at Crystal Springs and look at Woodrow Wilson. These schools are fine. It's the ones that, that really need that attention. I think, I think someone, you know, who isn't, and, and God bless Rita, an older white lady with, with very strong opinions um, is going to help with this, this kind of problems that the, the district sees. Well, let me ask this question. Um, again, you know, this white um, happens, to, is, happens to be African-American. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to, I'm, and I'm asking, posing this question to you, Reverend McNeil, is do you think the importance of her being African-American is, is significant with the um, hiring? Is it significant or do you just think it's just, it's great, but, but there's some other things she has to do? Well, I, I will say this, and, and this is what I said also about the chief of police, uh, Sam Roman. Um, I said that, and I'll say the same thing with her, is it is great in the sense that you see a person of color and it looks as though uh, the powers that be are, are trying to be progressive and forward thinking. Um, However, then the challenge must be, and that challenge is one on the system and two also on those community partners, how to make sure that she is just not a token in place. Uh. Um, I have seen in, or in organizations where they have brought in people who looked a certain way so that they could quell the voices of certain people you know, oh, there's not enough women. Oh, so we bring in a woman 
or there's not enough blacks or, or there's not enough Hispanics so we're bringing a Hispanic. But that person really doesn't have the power that uh, comes with the position because there is a token. And so they strip the power from the position through background, through back channels um, so that that person really doesn't have the impact that they are meant to have. And so for me, from my perspective, um, I, I applaud the fact that it is a person of color and it is a woman, uh, because I think you check two boxes there um, as for uh, what is possible. But, but then also, um, I understand, say, my responsibility um, as a local church pastor and as a president of a PTSA to engage her in dialogue and bring my things to her, but then also make sure that, um, as I said uh, back in January, it can't, that we have to be um, not just about tearing down systems, but about building new ones and building bridges and, and things too, because it won't do any good for it to be a black female or even a black male in, in the case of uh, the police chief, if there's no community connection. For sure. And, for sure. and so the, the same, the same uh, responses have, that I had with people in the community when it was Rita Bishop have to be the same and saying to parents that you still need to be parenting your children and requiring a certain standard and doing these things, saying to teachers that yes, even in these conditions, I'm still, you're, you need to do this. You know, you can't just say, oh, new person, you know. Um, Problem solved, that's, yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons why I'm also, I say, we've got to give it time to see because it's not just wait, letting her get her feet settled and get a game plan in action, but also seeing what everyone else is doing too. Well, because I, I can guarantee you, yeah. they made the decision and they got out that, that, that this was the choice there were some people who were having conversations about how to protect their interests and she wasn't a part of those conversations. Okay. So I have something that I think is going to be a key indicator. All right. I'm making predictions now. Prediction time. Catherine prediction time. Okay, so, write, it <laughs> write it down. So I think a key indicator, cause I mean, there's going to be budget cuts. This is going to be, I mean, this is going to be painful right. and you know, it was hard, like sometimes with Rita Bishop and in the past, um, you know, one of the things that was going on was that we really didn't, um, like we did see improvement and so we saw some things clearly going wrong, but at the same time, she was just, um, our school system actually had a lot of money because the city made sure that through the last economic downturn, they topped out the money. The city government, the city council really made a real effort to top out the school system and to make sure the school system did not suffer in the way that a lot of other school systems did during the last downturn. So now we're going into another downturn that is like uniquely impacting education um, and uniquely impacting our schools. And I think that one thing we're going to see is that, you know, choices will have to be made. And one thing that I saw like kind of a two track mindset on in the past was that, you know, we wanted to do all this trauma informed and we wanted to do all this social work and we wanted to do more um, counselors in the schools. But from my perspective on the issues I work on, you know, the, 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 the mantra is counselors, not cops. 
because the mantra that from you know it from my space is that the cops are part of of sort of inducing trauma right and that they are a source of trauma and so if we are putting you know that she was adding a source Rita Bishop was adding a source of trauma as she was also adding counselors as she was also adding social workers she was also adding more cops at schools as a response to the parkland shooting and i i vehemently disagreed with that so um you know she added chris perkins who's an enormous expense so i will be watching you know how does chris perkins salary you know we we, we spent so much money on um physical um infrastructure for shootings there's never been a shooting in Roanoke City Public Schools, to my knowledge. Now, children have been shot, but that has happened at home or, you know, uh, outside of the school, outside of the school day, outside of school, you know, control. Um, so, so the, the, you know, the idea of, you know, now Chris Perkins has done some good things too, right? He sent out that letter, the locked guns, keeping guns locked up at home. I thought that was a great letter. Um, you know, the question is what, what kind of resources do we see? What kind of resource allocation do we see when we have to make hard decisions? Does Chris Perkins keep his salary while all the new social workers get cut? Those are the kinds of questions I'll be asking. Well, and this is one of those like systemic things, systemic things like in, in education in general, where you, you know, Virginia Western is, is classic for this. They spend $100,000 to figure out how many part-time employees they can cut or to pay someone to figure out how many part-time employees they can cut. And so, uh, I, you know, we'll see again if, if, if Miss White kind of goes for those band-aids and those wishful magic bullets, or if she does the kind of thing that is actually, I think, the, the hard and smart work. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to be monitoring this. I mean, she starts July 1st. It's her official day. Um, my understanding, she was actually in town yesterday as of uh, May 26th, she was in town. And so I believe she got, she received a grand tour of some of the schools and, and parts of the city. And so we're gonna monitor this and uh, hopefully we'll start seeing some brighter, see, start seeing some brighter days in our school district. But I do believe we need to start, we'll just monitor it and give her a chance to, to get to work. Because yeah, she needs I, I, to hit the, hit the ground running when she I, starts. And I think this is exciting, you know? I mean, I, I like everyone mentioned that it's going to be a challenge, but I think it's also a great opportunity for, for her to really show, you know, what she can do. Yeah, and you're right. So we'll, we'll wait and see. So let's uh, transition. Unfortunately, we're going to be talking a little bit more um, Grim, grimmer topics. Well, I wouldn't say the school district because it's grim, <laughs> but we are going to be having, uh, <laughs> I think some of the feelings we might have had at the time might have been grim, but we're optimistic now. But we are going to transition to some of the recent racial incidents that's been happening in our country. Um, even through this pandemic, one thing, unfortunately, we still have are racial incidents. Um, going on. Um, yesterday we witnessed the murder of George Floyd. Um, if you haven't seen the video of the young African-American man uh, being detained by uh, the Minneapolis police and where one of the police officers uh, had his knee on his neck 
where he mentioned several comments about can't breathe, um, needed water, and um, needed assistance, yet the police officer continually uh, kept his knee on his neck. Unfortunately, that's not the only instance that's been going on um, these past uh, couple of months. Um, again, uh, on February 23rd, Amon Avery, a young 25-year-old African-American man, was jogging in Georgia where he was shot because the neighborhood, the two or maybe three, I believe now, well, the third person mm -hmm. has been indicted. Uh, mm -hmm. Viewed, um, saw them, uh, saw them witnessing a possible burglary. Actually, he was jogging, and they took matters in their own hands and shot him. Also, on March twenty third, um, an African American woman, Brianna Taylor, uh, in Kentucky. Uh, was a 26-year-old nurse that was killed in her apartment. She was shot eight times and the by the police officers and it was said that they was executing a drug warrant, even though when they executed the drug warrant, there was 20 rounds of ammunition that was used in ex exercising the warrant. And then also recently on May 25th, um, um, fortunately, there was no uh, murder involved in this incident. However, the racial uh, tension still escalated when a, a white female, Amy Cooper, called the police on Christian Cooper, no relation, after he asked her to leash the dog according to park regulations. Um, this is something that's continually to be happening in our community, in our country. Um, I, uh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let the rest of you guys say, because even as I'm speaking these incidents, I start getting angry. And so I need to tone down my comments. But um, what are your thoughts about, even during this pandemic, we're still getting these racial tensions going on in our, in our country? So racism doesn't stop just because we have to stay in our houses. <laughs> like, it continues. But out of all of these things that happen, they each get, like, worse and worse and worse. Um, and I can speak about all of them, but really specifically, because if I start talking about George Floyd, I might start crying on y'all again, and we don't want that. Um, but thinking about kind of the calculation of the call that Amy Cooper made to the police and her aggressiveness um, in accusing her accusatory tone um, towards Christian Cooper is something that unfortunately has happened time and time and time again when a white woman uses her privilege whether she recognizes it or not um, against black men and this time, it didn't cause a death, but it could have. Um, and when we talk about being fearful for our children, um, I think about this could have been my dad, my nephews, my brother-in-laws, 
you know, my kids from Sunday school, kind of anybody, it happens all the time. And it's a scary thing to know that these simple things that we do in living our life, whether it's sleeping in our beds and eating ice cream, watching birds, results in our deaths. And it's scary to know that it can happen at any time, any place, and it doesn't matter. Well, you know, and it, it really, all these examples, you know, it's a spectrum for sure. Because fortunately, like you said, with the incident with Amy Cooper, at least um, he didn't, Christian Cooper didn't lose his life, right? And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have people losing their lives um, for, you know, very basic and, 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 and ridiculous things like, well, that was a, there was, there was a black gentleman running in the neighborhood. So clearly he was the one responsible for crimes. And I think what they all have in common is they point out that unconscious bias people have, um, and it's particularly certain areas of the country. And it's not that they're part of the clan anymore. It's not that they're neo-Nazis. It's not that they actively go out and are like, well, I, I just hate black people. But in circumstances where it comes to stress or, again, especially privilege and, and perceived authority, you see these people take measures um, that demonstrate a high level of, 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 of race bias, right? You know, Amy Cooper is a crazy person. Um, but in that, you know, she's, she's choking her dog as she's making these, like, this hysterical lunatic call to possibly, like, the calmest, most well-meaning gentleman on earth. But even like through her sort of lunacy, you hear that again, like you said, that that sort of privilege and I'm going to leverage me being a white woman against a black man who had the audacity to tell me to put my dog on a leash who I'm now choking also. And, and that goes, you know, again, in, in the, the case with Georgia, three armed or potentially three armed white guys decide they can take the law into their own hands and persecute and try to arrest a person just for jogging and just for being black. And when he's like, no, that doesn't fly, they kill him. And again, 50 years ago, if the Klan had done something like that, you know, we knew exactly what it was all about because they're the KKK and they're lynching someone. You can't call it lynching in the same way now because they weren't in hoods and robes, but they're acting in the exact same manner. Again, it's that unconscious bias towards people of color and this perceived authority because you're white, particularly in Southern states. And that's, it's terribly concerning when it comes to people who can execute deadly force, whether it's people who own guns or it's people who are in, uh, who are police officers. Right. I mean, we, I mean, I just, um, we need a different white people just need a different socialization. And I don't know how to, I know that, I have some hope for, um, you know, the joke about like, oh, well, I voted for Barack Obama. I mean, like literally where there was an entire movie made about that joke. Um, you know, get out. That's the entire premise of it. Um, you know, they all voted for Obama. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, voting for Obama is obviously not enough. But the people who are willing to at least say like okay I need to head in this direction like I have some hope that you know I mean the evidence is that Amy Cooper voted for Obama right so um you know that's that 
that's not enough, but I hope that the consequences that she sees that this is a signal to a lot of white women that they need to get a thicker skin, get a different attitude. Um, you know, when I was, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I feel lucky. Like I kind of skated through with a slightly different, um, upbringing than a lot of people around me. Like my mom was, um, like we, you know, where I grew up was not, um, it, we kind of escaped the, the, that bad eighties, nineties crime wave. Um, if you look back and even look at the data, it wasn't that bad. And, um, my mom got like her purse stolen off of her on the front porch of our house one time when we were inside. And my mom is just so chill that she was like, well, you know, my, she was pregnant actually. And she got, she got yanked back, um, and fell on her back while she was pregnant, but you know, nothing bad happened. And my mom was just like, well, like nothing bad happened. Like, it's okay. Like, yes, they shouldn't have done that. But like, nothing bad happened. Like a crime can occur, but you should not overreact. Like in any instance, like that your overreaction is also dangerous was something that I was taught growing up. Um, and I feel like a lot of people aren't taught that. And once again, I feel like this comes back to having cops in schools that we're taught that cops are there from like, the minute you are five years old to adjudicate your, um, your disputes and they are not like, right. Like that is a dangerous way to adjudicate disputes. And, um, and that's part of the reason why I think having them there just socializes, um, you know, white kids and, and, and white women, especially that they can, they can call them at any time. And I just, you know, calling for somebody with a gun is dangerous period to adjudicate your dispute. What are everyone's thoughts on how to, because clearly I don't think there's any way that you can look at uh, a bunch of white people with, you know, open carrying in Michigan shouting in the faces of police officers and the police are being nice and calm about it. Or, you know, a crazy woman getting thrown, a crazy white woman getting thrown out of a store for not wearing a mask and the police are being nice to her about it versus the treatment of people of color for, for far lesser crimes or far lesser offenses or resisting arrest as it were, how do you start to fix that problem? I mean, what are the, because clearly that's an issue. I mean, I don't know how many people have to die before we realize that like the it's, it's preferential treatment based on race and how the police deal with you or treat you if you're a person of color. Well, well, this is, you know, it's a social condition that we have in our country, how we perceive, um, people of color and particularly African-Americans. I mean, right now the perception and, and actually kind of the reality based on the actions is that we devalue black people. We don't value black people. And okay. I'm, just being, I'm just being honest and real. We just don't value black people. No matter what education or economical, uh, economic level still are devalued. And that's why we get these treatments. And we have right now, we have for, especially as, an, as a black man, you see police is, con- we're, we're seeing police killing us, literally killing us. And we're seeing video tapes of us dying. We see economically 
when we tried to run, we tried to try to start our own business and all the hurdles as a black as a black person has to go through just to get a simple loan, just to get a simple loan to start a business. I mean, those are the hurdles. We we just are not valued. And when you get pushed back all the time, you you have you get angry. And then then you're asking society, well, you can't be angry. You need to control yourself. But yet you still have this anger inside because you're trying to do what you're trying. You're trying to survive. You're trying to live your life. But people look at you and look at you differently and give you a certain value, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. They still value, value you differently and less. And that's, the, and that's the reality of it. Now, the answer of how we solve it, I don't know. But I do think we need to start looking at how we can eliminate the, the, these, these barriers that why we're angry. Because I don't blame. When I see young black men and, and you're trying to tell them something to do, well, you need to go to get your education. You need to do this, you do this. But they see the reality of things and they see them, man, they, man they, I can't even go down the street while the police are just, why, am I walking down the street, there's a, there's a uh, patrol car following me. I'm just trying to go home or go to the park, and they being followed, you know? And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's an anger issue that is, is, is inside most of us. I'm not going to say everyone, but most of us. And and it's going to it's going to get to a point that we're really going to explode, and and you can only keep beating upside someone's head so much before it becomes reaction reactionary. But then you do that, then we're accused that we're angry, we're mad, we're we're going we're 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 not acting right, and and that's that's the flip side of things. Yeah. Uh... I guess I'm the only person that has a wave in. <laughs> um, I wrote this yesterday on Facebook. Uh, how long must the psyche of Black America be subjected to secondary trauma upon secondary trauma with this pre-established expectation of patience, understanding, and forgiveness? Where is the faith that the dark past has taught us? Is there any hope that this present has brought us? fighting against the feeling that hope unborn has died. Um, the time for singing songs has expired and born is a day of organization and action and education, medication, po- policing, banking, and building wealth. It is time to rise up and do these things ourselves, hold accountable the systems that count us. It's time to rewrite the history and remap the future. Um, I think it's very well said. That's good. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, for me, uh, it was, it's been a tough week. <laughs> uh, just, you know, my other sister, uh, a psychologist um, in, over in Cape Spring, and, you know, she and I both talked about Monday, Tuesday, you know, were tough days for both of us. We talked back and forth pretty much all day just about the challenges of dealing with what you see over and over and over. And I said, I'm not done dealing with the Ahmaud Aubrey video. Right. And now mm-hmm. I'm sitting here 
and I see George Floyd, and then somebody sends me the clip of the Christian Cooper video, and I'm like, you know, when does it, it, you know, there's this trauma upon right. trauma, trauma, and it's never going to end. Yeah. Right. When, when I, is I had somebody say to me, oh, but, but, but you're a pastor, man. You got to forgive that. And I was like, excuse me? Mm. But this really sense of upset. And then I think, you know, not just myself, as an African-American man, I have a brother, I have brothers, I have nephews, I have two sons, um, you know, extended family and friends, um, you know, and there is this asking, you know, when does it end? When does it change? And really, you know, I think when I wrote that, I was really just kind of at my wit's end and writing it helped me to kind of process through some of it. And then I began to say, you know, to myself, how do I, in the position I'm in, advocate for systemic changes? And then how do I influence the people that I have any sense of touch with to get them to do the same thing? In watching the video for George Floyd, there was something that stood out to me, which was starkly different from some of the other videos, because let me, let's, let's be honest. It wasn't, and it wasn't that there was a black chief of police, because this is not the first time we've seen something, um, a, a, a case like this, and there have been, you know, African-American chief deputies or African-American chief of police, you know, in these police departments. But it was interesting because I think the voice that provided the most buffer for me, at least, was this 30-somethings white male mayor who, who, who seemed, at least, to some degree, to be shaken by what he had seen. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I said, yeah, I, I said that, I said, okay, that's different because he is speaking not to not about the system, but about the humanity of mm-hmm. what's that, because that's what's really happened in this. Um, George Floyd was robbed of his, his humanity, mm-hmm. and time and time again, whether it's you know um, any of the other circumstances that have happened over the years, it, that becomes a piece that seems to get lost. The fact that this was a human being, this was an, a living, breathing human, and we start to talk about, well, their record or their past or who they hung around with or what they were listening, what music they were listening to or whatever, and we kind of devolve away from the fact that they were a human. And yeah. his demeanor said to me, he saw George Floyd as a human. And so the question, I think, Robert is, or, or for any of you is, you know, how do we put humanity back in the forefront of how we how we see each other? You know, when you see me, do you see me as a human? A person who deserves the same respect and love and everything that you think you deserve, or is it just, oh, big black scary 
angry guy, you know. So, so let me ask you this, Reverend McNeil, because I hear what you're saying and I was moved by him also. But when we think about the humanity, particularly as it relates to African-Americans, um, since 1619, really, we have been conditioned that we, who we are, is wrong, bad, scary, evil, all of these things. And it's been conditioned all of this time. You know, the ending of slavery didn't end it. Reconstruction didn't end it. Civil rights movement has not ended it. How do we, at this point, people may not even realize that they look at us differently, how it's been conditioned, right, throughout time. So how do we then make those changes when I think we all know people who are, there are people who are willing to have the conversation, but there's an overabundance of people who aren't willing to address all of these underlying issues that cause people to look at us as other, as not worthy of, as not, you know, all of these pieces. How do we bridge that? What do we, what do we do? Well, I think for me, it starts with um, church. Okay. Uh, that, it, the reason I say that, because when you, when you went back to 1619, from 1618 to 1681, the slave trade operated under the, same guys of scriptural where it says about the year of Jubilee. So a slave from 1618 to 1681, every seven years had a an opportunity to kind of buy themselves out of slavery. They can work themselves out of slavery. So every seven years, they had to replenish their slaves. In 1681, it was the, the plantation owners who decided this does not bode well for us because every seven years, we got to go back and restock ourselves and then start this process of retraining these people and it just eats it to our profit. So they didn't go to the government, they went to the churches and they said, you need to start preaching and teaching that it's okay for us to own slaves. Mm. And so in 1681, pastors of churches, heads of church denominations started to spread this widespread propaganda that slavery was okay because there are scriptures in the Bible that say slaves be good, be, you know, be obedient to your masters and masters be kind to your slaves. And they, they took it and ran with it out of context uh, for what Paul was saying when he said it, but they used it, they flipped it and they, they and, you know, and so for me, the conversation is that the church has to stand up and say, you know, we need to do this and it needs to be pushed because for a long time, every time something happened, you know, people would say with the school shootings and everything, when Columbine hit, when it ha happened, the first thing they said, well, he came from a good Christian home. When the young black man was drunk in Texas and then uh, guys, they finally found the guys that they had the college student was drunk behind the truck. Well, they all came from good Christian homes. And so I started to ask the question, what does that mean to come from a good Christian home then? If this is what uh, a good Yeah. Well, and so, uh, and go ahead, Will. Well, go that's ahead, always historically the thing they do. They, it's, it's, we can't believe these white people did this horrible thing. 
And then even if someone is black and is a victim, they go, well, that Aubrey guy, you know, when he was a teenager, he got arrested for shoplifting. It's like, okay, but what is it? Does that devalue his life any less? And it, but there's always this kind of, and again, I think the terms app this whitewashing of things that are in defense of, of black people as humans that, that, that the media does it or, or people are just making excuses for things to it. You know, there was someone quoted Martin Luther King on Facebook the other day. And one of the guy's responses, some white dude's response was, well, you know, I won't, I'll, I'll take advice from people who don't cheat on their wives. Okay. Like, so this one small rumor aspect of, of, of one of the most important leaders of the 20th century, you're just going to dismiss everything uh, because he, you know, he, he had an affair at some point, um, you know, but they'll vote for Trump. And it's fine because he's a white guy. You know, you need a business guy. He tells it like it is. You know, a guy's guy. Like, there's always an excuse for, for the white people's bad behavior. And like, uh, oh, can you believe it? And no, and zero kind of respite for, 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 for anyone of color or anyone is even when they're the victim. They're the straight up were murdered by, a, you know, a handful of like white trash dudes with guns and a truck. I mean, it's lynching. And we're just like, well, you know, you got caught for shoplifting. So maybe they were right. Well, it's interesting. You, you mentioned something that probably can be another whole subject matter when you talk about the church and the history of African-Americans and the growth and also the decline. And I think mm -hmm. that mindset that you was talking about, Reverend McNeil, and I, you know, I'm a son of a preacher. So um, um, uh, my grandfather was a minister and I have like 10 uncles who are ministers. And so I'm fully aware about the presence of the church, and especially in the African-American community. But it's something that needs to be said by the history of why uh, you know, Christianity was brought to the slaves. And, and, and this, is a very, this is something we should have. I think a lot of people are not too honest to have that type of discussion, especially with African-Americans, because that will start a lot of anger <laughs> responses. But, um, but, but what you just said earlier is a question needs to be asked, that control mechanism that was in place um, that is still being used in somewhat even today. Mm. Yeah. Catherine? Well, you know, I do think, like, I agree with the history aspect of all of this, and I have been... Um, you know, I've been reading about the history of the gun industry um, and uh, somebody I know is writing a book um, that I'm really excited is going to be coming out um, about 500 years of guns in America. And actually, there was a woman um, who I'm friends with who wrote about stand your ground laws, um, the definitive history of stand your ground laws. And this this um, it, and it's um, lethal. Law. I think it, the book is. Um, she and she grew up in Roanoke. Um, so the um, the thing I think is really important is to look back at this history and say, okay, you know, if we're looking at a system, if we're looking at policing as a system that comes out of um, and guns, you know, policing with guns as a system that comes out of slave patrols, we are still to this day paying people. Now, if we're playing a black guy to do the slave patrol, the modern slave patrol, you know, what, have we really changed it? Or do we need to scale back on this entire system 
of solving disputes. So, you know, do we need to stop? I mean, we have seen nothing from the civil rights movement except the expansion of policing, the expansion of our budget. I mean, mm-hmm. the, 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 the security industry, the, um, the um, you know, the, not just policing, but then border patrol and, all, you know, all this kind of other policing industries have just gone through, the, our budgets for these things have just gone through the roofs. And, you know, we can say like, oh, well, we need unbiased policing. Well, maybe we just need less, like, slave patrols, <laughs> like fewer, fewer, fewer of that, you know, maybe we should just pay people less to do like, or not pay people less to do the policing. You know, I'm not necessarily advocating abolition of the police, but that we should do less of a less like that, that, you know, just the idea that the fact that the idea of just taking police out of schools entirely and giving children a space where they aren't policed, like you will be held accountable through a system that will not involve the police. There will be accountability. It will not be via the gunpoint. Like it will not be a gunpoint. And to give like black children that, and especially black boys that, you know, is that the the fact that that's a radical notion right now? I mean, that both scares me, but I'm willing to advocate for it. And I hope, and I'm, you know, I want to, I want to push for it. Um, certainly, you know, with this, with this super, this new superintendent, um, you know, to, to bring these things to people that, Hey, maybe we should be, you know, part of this pandemic is we should reallocate these resources, um, you know, differently. Yeah. And I think whether it's, you know, to your point, you know, Catherine, whether it's the school board or the police or to Kevin's point churches, you know, you, you need an, an appropriate, institutional response to create institutional change. And as long as police unions, as long as government officials, as long as churches, as long as the schools, whatever, keep sort of being like, eh, I'm weigh in on that. Um, nothing's going to change. And, and, it's, and it's, it's doubly concerning when it's groups like the police that are meant to protect people, right? To serve and protect. I mean, it's the basic principle of what they do um and it doesn't matter if you're a serial killer it doesn't matter if you are completely innocent everyone has the same rights on the law and they everyone should be treated equally and if any kind of misjustice is had in that then they need an institutional response about it and i think that goes so far as even groups i don't agree with you know if you look at the the woman who was shot in her home for a search warrant where they didn't have to announce their presence a bunch of people break into your house with guns and these people who are licensed to carry firearms get their firearms out because they think they're being robbed and someone's there to kill them. Well, where's an RA now? This is the exact scenario in which, mm-hmm. you know, everyone who's like touting, well, you need guns to keep you safe from a tyrannical government. Here's your exact example. Yet no one wants to have a response to that or come to the plate because it's black people, right? Because it's, it's, you know, I'm sure they did something wrong. You know, the, there's a reason that, you know, uh, it's not safe to protect their gun rights. It's not good to protect their gun rights right now or, or make a big case out of this. But it is if, you know what, we want to take away our AR-15s or if we want to make it harder to buy firearms. Um, and so I think, you know, until you get that overall institutional response from all institutions, again, from the NRA to the school board to whoever, this crap is going to keep happening over and over and over. And people are going to keep thinking 
well, you know what? I mean, maybe she shouldn't have had a firearm in her house. And maybe, you know, that, that woman should have just, you know, uh, asked to see a badge and laid down, you know, on her stomach, put her hands over her heads when a stranger broke into her house without announcing themselves. Right. Like nothing's going to change until we get people, you know, churches, whatever else. Well, I, always say, well, I always say, especially regarding uh, guns, especially with the NRA, I always tell people one of the ways that you can get gun control is get an army of black men strapped with AK, AKs standing out front of any political area. And all of a sudden you miraculously <laughs> have gun laws in place. hundred <laughs> percent. That's the that's a great way of instituting gun. Change. Well, if you look at Brunswick, but also I also believe I also believe the fact that you know being an African American, I I'm trying to as I talk to young black, especially young black men, when they keep talking about what what should we do when these incidents come up, how do we deal with the police? And yet there's another way the police take, takes a different direction and we still get the end result. You try to uh -huh. put, your hands, put your hands on the steering wheel, we still get shot. You know, we still yep. go down the street and just submit to the police, we still die. I mean, yep. it, you know, we, we can, it's, I'm trying to figure out a way to tell my son, my son is 22 years old, what to how to react and when i tell him these things he said but dad so-and-so did the same thing he died <laughs> i mean and 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 i'm trying for myself i'm i'm kind of at a loss of of really trying to have that explanation and um and that's soul searching so um I, I do i definitely believe that we need to you know of course we'll keep monitoring these I don't want to see another incident again, obviously, but I, we, you know, this is not, you know, something else is going to happen, unfortunately, in our country that this is going to happen again, and this is sad. It's a sad commentary, especially with this great nation that we do have, that we still have this this virus besides the coronavirus that's infecting our community. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just. I'm just appalled. But um, we're going to wrap up. We're getting close to the hour. And so I appreciate you guys once again enjoying the podcast. And and, and I believe it was a very spiritual, um, spirit, not spiritual, but spirited conversation. We did have Reverend McNeil here, though. I'm sorry, that, that, that technically qualifies, right? We did have Reverend McNeil here, so technically. Yeah, we did have Reverend McNeil. We were at least one-fifth spiritual. Yeah, we did. But I really appreciate all of you guys joining us. And so as, as usual, we always come to a um, conclusion about what we're looking forward to this week. Um, so I always like to start with the ladies. I am a Gemini. I like to start with the ladies first. So we'll start with, um, we'll start with Karen, then we'll go to Catherine. Karen, what are you looking forward to? Um, so this week, of course, nothing. <laughs> like nothing. No. I mean, how you I really feel, Karen? <laughs> <laughs> I think that big setup for you to say nothing. 
<laughs> you know, it, so I've had such a busy couple of weeks. This week um, is probably going to be a little chiller. Um, but, but honestly, probably one of the bigger things that I'm looking forward to, I've set aside time to read um, a book. I bought it kind of a while ago by um, Ed Gordon, and it's called Conversations in Black. Um, and it's just a series of conversations with um, famous people, um, activists, just on all sorts of, of issues and things that are kind of related to today. And so that's actually what I'm looking forward to this week. Okay. Catherine. All right. Well, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm looking forward to it, but I'm asking you guys to hold me accountable that the next time we talk that I will have um, nudged everyone on city council that um, July 1 is coming and they can all on city council make some progress on some of our issues. Our state government has given them the permission to ban guns in city parks, ban guns in um, city council itself and um, they can get on it. <laughs> so I'm gonna gently reach out to all of them and remind them of that. And hopefully, hopefully I have something good to report back from my, from my nudges. So, and, and I need you guys to hold me accountable to actually do the nudges. So okay. we'll a see. Nudge. A, a nudge to a nudge. nudge. Remind me, hold me accountable to, nut, to my, to my, to do my, to do my work. <laughs> okay. We will do that. Um, Reverend McNeil. Uh, what am I looking forward to? Well, um, actually tomorrow's my birthday. So that's. Oh, happy hey, birthday. happy early birthday. Gemini, right? Yes. Gemini? Yeah. Yep. Gemini in the house. I like that. <laughs> uh, so just looking forward to uh, spending some time with family and friends and relaxing a little bit this week, the rest of this week, and having a little fun that way. Um, also, I'll be glad when this house project is over where we bought a new countertop. So probably Friday, Saturday, getting all that done. I'll just be glad to be over and done with it all. Okay. Nice. Do you get well, tasked? Do you get tasked with doing all the uh, the construction projects since you, you had a background with youth building and all that? Are they just like, hey, Kevin, Kevin, you can put this in, right? <laughs> with some stuff, I, I I repaired our front steps, and I'm gonna do with my son. We're gonna work on our rock wall in our backyard, but uh, some stuff like the countertop, not somebody else is doing that. Countertop, new stove, backsplash. Somebody else is doing that at work. Well, that's good. You and your wife are bonding. Now, I appreciate that. On your new year, on your birthday. <laughs> Will, what's going on with you, my friend? I uh, wrote a thing the other day saying that I think the coolest thing any human can do right now is wear a face mask with sunglasses. And uh, <laughs> I'm... I'm looking forward to that playing out because, and again, I, I, it pains me to say this because I'm not a fan. Um, I got a mailer from Ben Klein that was like, hey, here's me wearing a mask. Here's how you say, stay safe. Here's how you responsibly go out in public. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is the complete opposite messaging from the, uh, from the, from the, the big baby that he, he supports. Um, 
and so I was I was really kind of happy about that. I'm looking forward to people being more proactive about wearing masks and and doing things in public. You know, uh, Japan uh, was able to like not do all the restrictions and stuff that we had, and had a very minimal amount of deaths. And everyone's like, "Oh my god, how did they do that?" Well, they all wore masks everywhere, and it's a simple solution. And and I I don't know this uh, this whole fervor over well, my freedoms are getting taken away and I'm breathing in extra CO2 and burp if I have to wear a mask, it's the government controlling you, shut up. Like, just be cool and wear a mask and sunglasses. It's not even about that. You just look cooler doing it. So I'm looking forward to people kind of either wearing their mask or getting sick, so. Okay. Well, last but not least, I look forward to rereading the book that, um, that inspired me. Um, by Reginald Lewis, uh, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? I encourage everyone to read that book. It really talks about a rags to riches story. Um, and, um, and it really inspired me um, just when I started in business. So um, I'm glad I'm doing it and um, pick it up. Kevin, have you heard of it? Yes, yes, I have. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll make sure you understood. <laughs> well, good, guys. <laughs> thank you, guys. I really appreciate all of you guys for joining. Thank you, and thank all of the listeners for listening to Our Voices, Our Community, presented by Colors VA Magazine. You can also listen to us each Sunday at 3 p.m. on, on WROE 95.7, Radio Free Roanoke. If you like what you've heard today, leave us a review. Also, be sure to like Our Voices, Our Community on Facebook. Thank you. Have a blessed day.